Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener, to this episode 23 of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. With me as always today is Jason. Hey, everybody. And John is here. Hey there. This is our back issue edition of the podcast where we like to take a single character, story arc, or book and dig in deep. In today's episode, we're going to dive in deep into the first appearance of Rogue in the Avengers Annual Issue Number 10 from 1981. Okay, okay hold on, hold on. I, usually what? this is where you say butt first, but yeah, I'm I was gonna, about to I'm, say butt first. I'm going to butt doing? in with my own butt first. Butt okay. first. But, <laughs> so you said this is an annual, and I have seen annuals as a term thrown around like graphic novel and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. what is special about an annual and this one in particular? Okay, well, I guess then, since we're going to take this little dive (laughs) off into the deep end, it's probably better to give a little bit of a definition of what an annual actually is in the comic book industry. So I'll start with that. A comic book annual customarily has a larger page count than the regular monthly editions of the comic book. Okay, I noticed that. That allows for a larger amount of pages for longer single stories or for multiple stories in a single issue, or maybe they had some extra material that they couldn't fit into the regular monthly issues during the year, and they threw it all into the annual at the end of the year. So that's kind of the textbook Wikipedia definition of what a comic book annual is. Okay. Well, so let me ask Jason as our resident expert. So (laughs) why an annual? Who is this for? Is this since it's kind of like bigger and one thing, is it a cherry on the top for a regular reader or is it like a, a standalone thing to try to get people into the world? Or why do annuals instead of just keep doing more issues of regular stuff? It's for both. I think it's, you know, kind of a cherry on top, like you said, for readers to get kind of a bigger story and some extra material out of their favorite series. But also they tend to be one shots or historically kind of a one and done story in a little mm-hmm. bit larger format with that extra. So it's also a way to entice people to pick something up without having too much baggage going into it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of time as well, the annuals, depending upon what part of the world you lived in, like in London, for instance, most of the annuals would come out just before Christmas and they were kind of sold as Christmas presents. Right. Oh, really? But, oh, okay. Yeah. In America, a lot of times when they were first coming out, they were done in the summer and it was kind of more of a thing like kids are getting out of school. So sell the big books then as well as, mm-hmm. you know, the summer reruns on TV show wouldn't compete with their time. You know, a kid would have just so much time that he could have entertainment during a day, apparently during the summer. So they were like, oh, we, you know, they're on reruns right now. So the kids aren't going to be watching TV. Let's throw some annuals at them. But they've moved all around. I mean, and there was a big decline in annuals right about the time when the comic book crash happened in the 90s when all the speculators had really saturated the market with buying 1,500 copies of issue number one of X book, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing kind of collapsed and annuals kind of died 
died out after that. They come back a little bit, but not nearly the way that they used to be on an annual basis, hence the name. They're not really that way anymore. Now, sometimes you get one every 16 months or maybe every two years in some cases. It just depends. So it's just kind of become the uh, the nickname for a special bonus edition that's a little bigger. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty, it's it's yeah. exactly right. It's the All nickname right. for a special edition of a book now. I feel updated. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of fun to go back and take a look at some of these ones from our youth. And that's really what we like to do with these back issues, especially. Mm -hmm. And these annuals give us a few more pages to kind of dig in deep. So let's get into all the stuff about the Avengers annual issue number 10 right after this. I want a stone cold righteous attention. Your chin is down. Your chest out, your gut in, your face mean, cause you a rough, tough, fighting machine. Don't you know that you're a grown up? Hey there, Drawn and Panel podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, hey everybody, and George, hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. All right, guys, let's discuss uh, this book. But first, the creators. We have a few uh, notable folks on here that were involved in this massive annual. Uh, The first was a guy that we've talked about before, the writer Chris Claremont. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, one of those guys who's won multiple billions and gazillions of awards and he's done all kinds of books and everything. Probably mostly known for his Marvel work. He was born, actually, believe it or not, in 1950 in London. Mm -hmm. He was not an American, not one of those New York guys that we talked about often. Uh, Hence, one of his most notable books and characters is actually Captain Britain. Yeah. (laughs) So not Captain America, but Captain Britain. Uh, He's done some other work, too, on the New Mutants and the Uncanny X men obviously the avengers which we're going to talk about today um and he's had a long list of awards as i mentioned and i want to go through them just briefly a little bit because we've talked about the awards that a lot of these guys have won but i don't think we've necessarily ever really talked about where the awards came from or what they meant uh one of the main awards that he won like 83 84 88 through 90 is the comic buyers guide award this was an award that was done from the comic buyers guide book that was published starting in like 1971 up to like 2008. And it was a, it was a book that reported on the comic book world. So if you wanted to find out what books were coming out or who was signed at Marvel this year, or, you know, new storylines are coming out, you read the comic buyers guide. That was kind of what you did. And they started their own fan awards in 1982. And he just won all crap ton of those things. Was that based on like sales or just kind of like is like the uh, it was a fan award so it was like voted yeah it was Ah, like the fans would write in and you know they would have different categories and stuff like that okay Mm -hmm. viewer's choice sort of thing almost yeah 
Okay. Now, another one that he won, and having been a British citizen, you can imagine why, he won a lot of Eagle Awards. And the Eagle Awards were named after a UK comic line called the Eagle Comics. And it was set up there, and they were all the way from 1977 until 2012. And he won uh, that twice. He won it in 79 and 80. So, you know, that's kind of his home country award that was set up by the people who ran that original publishing company. I thought that was kind of cool. Hmm. Now, the big one that he won is the Eisner Awards. And I did a little bit more research on them. The Eisner Awards are essentially the Academy Awards to the comic book industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's named after Will Eisner, who was a pioneer in the comic book industry himself. And the award that Chris Claremont won was actually the Hall of Fame Award in 2015. And you might think of that as being kind of the Lifetime of Achievement Award that the Academy Awards give out every year to like right. one person. Sure. Uh-huh. That's that's what he won. So, you know, they recognized him as being a huge influential creator in the comic book world. And he's worked for a lot of publishers. We talked about Marvel. Uh, he was with mm-hmm. Marvel from 69 to present. And then he did some work for DC Image and Dark Horse. But I, I, he's really known for Marvel and his X-Men work. <laughs> yeah, he even signed an exclusive contract with them in 2014. So I think that's the only company he can work with now. Right. John, you've asked before about, you know, guys hopping from publisher to publisher. Well, here's a case where Marvel said, nope, you're not jumping around anymore. <laughs> Good luck. You're getting down. stuck with us from now on. With a name like Chris Claremont, he sounds like a Marvel alter ego for some superhero. Maybe right. it's, the, yeah. <laughs> it's the same letter of two, the first two, you know, you're like Peter right. Parker, you're Clark Kent, Cler- Chris Claremont, kind of sounds superhero-y. So of course Marvel would lock him down. The art in this one really jumped out at me as looking like what I think about when I think of old comic books. The just the, sure. the, the, mm-hmm. the, the drawing of it and the thickness of the lines and stuff. So who, who put together this one in terms of art? That would be Michael Golden. He was born in 1955 in the United States. Uh, He was real popular around this time period. He was getting started kind of a couple years before that. Uh, Mostly worked for Marvel. He worked on a series called The Micronauts that I believe was also, there was also (laughs) a toy line. I've seen that one. I know them. Yeah, the toys, right? Same guys? Yeah, the toys. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the the poor man's Transformers. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. The Nam, which was a Marvel book about, you know, Vietnam War. And then he also created a character that was kind of a flash in the pan when I was a kid, Bucky O'Hare, which was a green space rabbit. I was going to say, was that the rabbit? I've seen pictures of that. Yeah. I I remember the cartoon and I had a toy, an action figure. It didn't last long, but it was originally a comic book that Michael Golden had created for continuity comics. Yeah. And did you find out like a really weird fact that he did some kind of drawing that ended up as some weird band's logo or something? Uh, right. So I, I came across that. Uh, so there's a band, Danzig. Uh, he did the song oh, sure. Mother. And before that, he was in a band called the Misfits. Oh, yeah. In the 80s, 70s, 80s. So I found that that he had the logo uh, that was this weird kind of devil skull. And one article said that he approached Michael Golden about it. But then digging deeper, come to find out Glenn Danzig was a fan of comic book art. And there was a skull on the cover of a short-lived Marvel series called The Crystar, The Crystal Warrior, which was also <laughs> a uh, ill-fated toy line as well. And there's this cool skull that Michael Golden had 
drawn. And Danzig basically kind of traced that, finished it out because it wasn't complete on the page, finished it and used that as his logo. I don't think anything ill will happen from it or anything like that, but it's kind of one of those comic book uh, urban legends. It's like, is that homage or appropriation? Which was that? Yeah. No, that's that's outright theft. That's tracing. We yeah, talk a little tracing. bit about the tracers here coming up, but that's pure out theft right there. He just took that right off the guy's comic book cover. But in all fairness, really, Chris Star, the Crystal Warrior, you got to steal from something like that. That's got to be one of the worst titles for a comic book I think I've ever heard. Yeah, it was it was basically kind of a He-Man fantasy thing with a, a crystal guy with a sword and pink underwear. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the poor man's Transformers and now we had the poor man's Masters of the Universe. How appropriate. Thank you, Michael Golden. <laughs> now, we love to talk a little bit about the Tracers here. At least I do. I always get a kick out of talking about the Inkers in the comic book world. This one had one a really a gang of Inkers is going gonna, is gonna to come and get you. I know, right? <laughs> they're, they're coming after me. They're going to trace my dead at body outline. <laughs> on the outline. They'll each draw a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy who did the Inker work in this book is Armand Gill. He was born in 1959 in the Dominican Republic, and he's worked on quite a few books, mostly at Marvel, uh, Conan, Kazar, Predator, even some Jurassic Park stuff, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But this guy's really hard to find any information out on him. So I went digging. I found actually a full like interview that somebody did with him a long time mm -hmm. ago. Jason, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to put that in the show notes oh, a yeah, little absolutely. bit later on because it was done in 2009. The guy just sounds like a really cool guy. I would like to get to meet him. One of the first questions in the interview was, you know, do you have any of your original artwork? And he's like, nope, people stole it or I gave it all away. It's all gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. He, he tells this little story about how his buddy and he were drinking at his house one night and he saw some of his artwork, his pinups that he'd done for Conan. And he said, oh, can I have a couple of those? And he was like, sure, take whatever you want. So the guy took like 10 or 15 of them off. Oh. And then like a month or two later, he's Armando Gill is at a comic book shop in his hometown there and he goes in and the guy's like yeah some guy was in here trying to sell your artwork last week oh damn oh, wow and it was those conan pinups, and Not he's like well cool. I, I guess he needed beer money so i don't do that stuff anymore i don't give out original art anymore <laughs> no back issue would be complete without discussing the letterer oh yeah and we gotta talk about the letters gotta talk about the letters and we've got an interesting guy here the letterer for this book was joe rosen he was born in 1920 and passed Passed away in 2009. Wow. Okay. Long life. Yeah, long life. He he did a lot of stuff for Marvel. You know, going back back a ways. Uh, a couple of things he did was Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk. He lettered 127 issues of Daredevil. That's a lot mm. of uh, mm. that's a lot of letters there. Think about that, John. You <laughs> yeah. were talking about annuals earlier and everything. Yeah. You know, one issue per month at this period of time. Right. Yep. And he did 127 of them. That's over yep. 10 years worth of comic books. He worked on one particular issue. Anyone who read Daredevil, he, they got used to that style and they probably missed it when he left. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, I, I can't imagine like I don't I'm trying to think. I don't think I've worked anywhere for 10 years. I know, John, you have. You worked for places for like 15 years I and I, 700 I, I, years because you're really super old. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy stagnating. That's my hobby. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
But this guy actually got his start long before Marvel. He started in the 1940s at Fawcett Comics, believe it or not. He worked there for a couple of years. Then in the 50s, all the way through the 70s, he worked for DC mostly. Mm-hmm. And then he did a little bit of freelance work with Harvey Comics before finally moving on to Marvel in the 1970s. And that's where he worked up until, you know, I assume, you know, until he passed away in 2009. Yeah. That would encompass the uh, the date on this annual we're looking at, which was what, in 80 or 81, right? 81, yeah. Yeah, January of 81. That would have been toward the end of his career. Yeah. I mean, you know, he did a lot of work and this was a great example of that work. So let's jump in to the characters right after this. Nobody around. Now's my chance. Coast is clear. I'll just check out. Uh Uh-oh. My spider sense tells me I'm not alone. Okay, Spider-Man. We figured you'd come back. It's at this point in the show where we like to talk about the characters that appear in the book that we're highlighting. And I thought I would be well prepared to talk about this because it said it was the Avengers. And right, I'm like, right. cool, <laughs> let's go. Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. And then it started running into people I didn't know who the hell they were talking about. Like, <laughs> who's a Wonder Man? Who's Jocasta? I don't know these people. Right. right. <laughs> so apparently this is not the same Avengers that I, only knowing them through the movies, would be familiar with. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of them, you know, like Scarlet Witch, you've seen her, you know, you know Vision, mm-hmm. you've yes, seen him, yeah, you know. Yeah, they're kind of like, Bettany, I mean, they're, right? they're not the, the number ones, but they have appeared and I've seen them, sure. Yep. But then they had... One that was kind of an unusual crossover guy at this point. They had the Beast on the Avengers team at this point. Wasn't he an X-Man thing? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. He was one of the original Uncanny Mm X-Men. So we talked about that first issue of X-Men a long time ago. He was one of those original guys with Professor X, Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, all those guys. The X-Men are in this Avengers annual in kind of a roundabout way. They don't really participate in any of the battles so much, but they're there. And, you know, it's like I said, Professor X, Storm, Wolverine. Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Kitty Pride. they kind of make little guest appearances in a couple of panels here and there. Mm-hmm. So but, is Beast both an X-Man and an Avenger? Well, or? not at the same time. Like, he doesn't oh. have the team affiliation where, you know, he's a member of the X-Men and a member of the Avengers at the same moment. He's one or the other. He just seems to go back and forth. And that's not uncommon in the comic book world. He is a mutant. Is that right? He He is is a mutant. mutant. Yes. Yes. It's the same beast guy. He just, he just traded teams. Essentially. It's kind of like, you know, one minute you play for the Yankees and then you play for the Mets. I'm learning. You know, I I found the presentation (laughs) of the beast in this to be way more interesting than any beast I've seen on the screen. Really? You like this one better, huh? Well, he was like, the beast, that I've seen on the screen in the films is kind of just this this force to be reckoned with a monster or not a con- and in the other in this one he in the comic he was he was quipping he was like a Spider-Man he was very nimble mm-hmm. he was an acrobat he was cracking mm-hmm. jokes and I found that to be very different than what I expected to see yeah because in the films they always portray him as the scientist egghead nerdy kind of guy mm-hmm. yep you know or he's the Kelsey Grammer drunk guy whichever one you want to <laughs> go with <laughs> but, well the leader of the Brotherhood of Mutants was a character that we should all be pretty familiar with in this uh, issue it was Mystique and we've known her from her shape-shifting days in both the X-Men films and both the old ones and the first class series played by different actresses. Mystique was originally created by Chris Claremont, the writer of this book, mm-hmm. and Dave Cockrum. Uh, apparently, she her first appearance was in Miss Marvel number 16, a little cameo that she had. Right. But then her full appearance was in issue 17, right, Jason? And she's, uh, 
we're used to her, I think, on film being kind of, you know, either in the old movies, she just kind of was kind of a, you know, servant of Magneto more or less. And then in the new mm-hmm. movies, she was more of a hero. But right. this yeah. book shows what mystique. I mean, she's she's a bad, bad, bad lady. I mean, she's just very um, driven, um, manipulative, uh, you know, seems to be prone to anger, uh, just uh, and sneaky. Yeah, we yeah. we don't get enough of that in the films right now. I mean, she's usually a good person who maybe she gets upset and does something bad once in a while in the films. Right. But for the most part, she's either a good person or a bad person, but always subservient to someone else in most of her roles. Even Jennifer Lawrence, you know, even though she was rebelling against the younger Professor Xavier in a lot of those films from first class onward, she never is the leader, so to speak, really. Even in this last Dark Phoenix saga film that we've seen. Right. She's never really the leader of anything. But in this book, man, she just tells yeah. everybody what to do. Yeah. She's very like, she's got this whole thing planned out. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if that had been listed as one of her powers and abilities, you know, to plan out and figure out strategies to kill people. Mm-hmm. Super logistics. <laughs> <laughs> now, another character that I saw popping up was, and make sure that I'm not wrong, is Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. And they never, that I see call her anything Captain or Mrs. Marvel. Is this the same Captain Marvel? It is. Just, okay. Yes. And it's the same Miss Marvel, okay. Captain Marvel. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep. The same one we saw in the last Avengers Endgame film Got and it. had her own film, Miss okay. Marvel, I recently. I thought so. Yep. And she had like, a, they told like her full long name. It was like Carol Joyce Williams Jones something. Right. Danvers. Right. <laughs> it was long name. Like, is that the same person? I didn't know if they, it was a longer name because it was like a sister or whatever, but okay. Same character. Got it. Yeah. And we even, I think, we, did we do a back issue where we talked about Miss Marvel number sure. one, Jason? A little while yeah, back, we, right? we did. Before the film came out, we talked about Miss Marvel number one from uh, 1977. Wow. Yeah. So that's the same character. And she's had a lot of different team affiliations, as you might imagine, mm-hmm. with the powerful character that she is. She's been a part of the Avengers, part of the X-Men, obviously the different U.S. military branches with the Air Force and everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean. You she know, was a and publisher. Then her, she wrote for Woman Magazine yeah, she was or something, right? Wrote for Women's Magazine, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Suit. <laughs> yeah. <That's> it, yep. <laughs> and I think she may be one of the most overpowered comic book characters in existence. It, I wonder often, and we saw in the latest Avengers film Endgame, she just seems like there's nobody that can stop her if she puts her mind to something. I don't know how, once she's determined what direction she's going in, how any other character outside of some ethereal being godlike creature could stop her because she's just overpowered over everybody. She's way even, she comes off to me stronger than Superman in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but in this book, completely not. But she's no. apparently susceptible be, to being thrown off the Golden Gate Bridge. That's her yes. one. Yes. That's her kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. As we find out right. later. <laughs> well, and, you know, if it wasn't for Spider-Woman, yep. who shows up in this book quite often, we might not have Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel anymore because she kind of swoops in on that Golden Gate Bridge and saves her. Uh, Spider-Woman was created originally by Archie Goodwin and Marie Severin mm-hmm. and had her first appearance in Marvel Spotlight issue number 32. Jason, do you have any idea when that book was published? Because that's really old. Uh, it was a uh, seventy-six. Yeah, no, okay, nineteen seventy-six. Okay. Yeah, this will surprise absolutely no one. But this is the first time I've ever read any comic book that had Spider Woman in it. I'm aware of her existence, and I've okay. seen okay. pictures of her, <laughs> and she's like the red suit with the yellow like yes. triangle. It's which is vaguely kind of mm-hmm. like a Black Widow suggesting. But I I don't know anything. And she's got the wings about underneath her. the arms, yeah, like the web and, wings you know, or something. Around on does the, she get yeah. her powers like Spider Man? Is she related to Spider Man somehow? Where does she come from? And I I never seen 
seen her in a, in a book before. She's not directly related to Spider-Man. They've teamed up and then with, you know, kind of the recent Spider-Verse stuff in the comics and then eventually she'll probably be in one of those animated Spider-Verse films. But they have them kind of, you know, team up and work together. But she got her her powers a little bit differently. Um, in the Marvel Spotlight 32, it was basically she was sick and her parents were scientists and they were experimenting with uh, insects and uh, use something. Fly. Ah. Yeah. Used, <laughs> used like some spider serum that basically, you know, make her better and it slowed down her aging. And I, I don't know, there was a lot of different stuff, but she became Spider Woman. But then when they did her own series, they kind of changed some of that. And then a laser with spider DNA hit her mother's <laughs> stomach while she was pregnant what? with her. <laughs> what? And, <laughs> yeah, and that she, happens all yeah, the time. Spider yes. DNA lasers are yeah. zapping around yeah. maternity ward. Right? Oh yeah, sure. You got to be careful of those. You know, they're on every corner. <laughs> George, one of your favorite writers is the one that's responsible for changing it to the laser spider DNA, and that was Marv Wolfman. Oh, well, then it's it's got to be well, perfect. It's okay. If Marv Wolfman <laughs> did it, it's, yeah, that's what I would go with. Now, I did, I always appreciated her different list of abilities because it was, it was slightly different than Spider-Man proper. Mm-hmm. You know, he has, you know, and she does as well, the web crawling, web sling, wall crawling, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But then she has some other things, like she has pheromone manipulation, which is kind of cool and interesting. And then she has those bio electric like energy blast that she shoots yeah. out of her at one point fingers in this book she did like web blast or something yeah mm-hmm. she yeah. called them like venom blast right, or right, something venom like blast, that and right. I was like yep. I was like that's really cool you know Spider-Man never had anything like that when I was reading him so I thought it's nice that they they at least gave her that as well as she's apparently like a detective with the police or they know her and she works in detective fashion mm-hmm. which is slightly different than Spider-Man she's like a master spy kind of person so I think it's nice that they gave her a different set of you know powers and abilities rather than just say oh it's spider-man we just changed it to woman and now she's got you know the same stuff that he does i like that they gave her a unique character right well i don't think we're getting out of the character section without talking about who made their very first appearance ever in the comic book world and that would be rogue Uh, this was obviously she was created by chris claremont Mm -hmm. this was her first appearance avengers annual number 10 however She's not with the X-Men in this one. She's definitely with a Brotherhood of Mutants wholeheartedly throughout the entire book. And let's talk just a brief moment about her abilities, especially as we saw them in this book. She can absorb not only the abilities of other human beings and mutants, but in particular also their psyche, like their memories, I guess, or their Like how they think, their life experiences, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that she had that part of her ability. I knew about the absorption of powers. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we saw her in the X-Men film. She would kiss Iceman and then breathe cold air out of her mouth at the same time. You know, we would see that kind of stuff, you know, but I didn't know she grabbed their mental state as well. Yeah, that's something that she's been able to do. I think it gets downplayed in the comics. I don't ever remember seeing a whole lot of just, you know, mostly with this story and her connection to uh, Miss Marvel. They they play on that and talk about it. But with kind of the other stuff, not too much, though. I do remember in the X-Men movie, the first X-Men movie, when she touches Wolverine to heal herself back after being attacked by Magneto, uh, that they did make a comment that she did inherit some of Wolverine's personality traits. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was kind of being gruff for like the week after. Yeah, I remember them talking about that now. Yeah. 
Well, you found out a really cool little fun fact that I want to tell our listeners about, Jason. Apparently, Claremont revealed that Rogue's original physical appearance was supposed to be modeled after the actress and singer Grace Jones. John, you remember Grace Jones from James Bond Absolutely. and Adam Ant, right, right? Right, yeah. So apparently that's what Rogue's character was supposed to look like. Unfortunately, Michael Golden had no idea who Grace Jones was <laughs> when he drew her. <laughs> and I guess they didn't give him any reference well, pictures. They didn't have maybe, the internet, so he couldn't just look it up. Right. <laughs> I'll say that if you hadn't brought up this fun fact, I would never have associated that character drawing with Grace Jones. Yeah, her only resemblance to Grace Jones seemed to be what someone would pick up by a verbal description of Grace Jones, not a direct right. resemblance. Right. Right. Which is probably what happened. That's he probably right. wrote That's my down, point. Exactly. you know, here's what Grace Jones looks like. I want Rogue to be like her. But I mean, it's a really seminal character in the comic book world. Mm -hmm. We've seen her morph between the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and then all the way into the X-Men now. You know, and she's gone back and forth being good and bad and crazy and all different kinds of stuff throughout her history. I'm glad that we're talking about her first appearance in this storyline. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to dive deep into the storyline right after this. Elsie, where are you? And I will find her, too, if it's humanly possible. Or rather, Superman will. No time for running around on foot. This is where Superman takes to the air. Gentlemen, the one great thing about an annual is that you get extra pages with your story to <laughs> yeah. include a whole bunch more dialogue and panels, and we certainly had quite a bit about that. But before we get into all of our different topics and discussion points on this story from Avengers Annual, issue number 10, I want to just give a brief synopsis. This was published first in January of 1981. With her memories and powers wiped out, Mrs. Marvel is rescued from San Francisco Bay by Spider-Woman. After her identity is revealed, Spider-Woman decides to call in her friends, the X-Men, to try and restore Carol Danvers' lost memories. Meanwhile, <laughs> Meanwhile. the Avengers <laughs> are being singled out and attacked by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants who are seeking to destroy the Avengers. Will they succeed with the help of a powerful new villain? Um, let's talk a little bit then about Spider-Woman and her rescue of Carol Danvers' Mrs. Marvel from the Golden Gate Bridge. There was a lot of like supposition in the dialogue and there was a lot of you know that whole kind of here's what I do in my nightly stuff and you know almost like detective film noir right. kind of voiceover stuff going on right. thank goodness That's I pretty... chose tonight to explore my neighborhood exactly <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little corny for us to read now, you know, 30 years later mm -hmm. or whatever, but I guess that was something that was necessary still in the comic book world to explain things to the reader. I know I've talked with other people a little bit, and it's almost like the writers don't or weren't giving enough credit to the artist to convey the thoughts. And nowadays you uh, see that it's much more mm -hmm. about the art. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That that was something that I used to have problems with, uh, with, you know, older books. It was just the dialogue. You're like, I see what they're doing. You don't have to explain it to me. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I still like that scene because Spider-Woman is one of my favorite characters, uh, not just because she has a spider in front of her name, but she she is a cool character. <laughs> so I, I'm glad that she was kind of the main she was kind of the main character in this if you're going to pick one. So she I mean, she was probably one of the main focal points on the good guy side for yes. sure. I mean, they they wove her they wove her throughout the entire story mm -hmm. arc. 
Mm-hmm. I did like how when she's rescuing Carol Danvers, however, that I didn't realize that she didn't have web slinging ability because she's, you know, she's riding the air currents with her little wings under her. Right. Pick up on and that. Then, she doesn't sling webs. Well, because she she must not, because as the wind died down, she didn't throw a web out to save her and Carol Danvers. Yeah. They ended up in the she bay and the then she was worried about swimming mm-hmm. and right? everything. Yeah. So I guess she doesn't have the ability to, you know, sling webs like Spider-Man Peter Parker does, at least not at this point. I mean, there was quite a bunch of crazy stuff in this. There was, you know, Professor X, he comes out there. He does eventually, you know, get into her brain and he realizes who she is and he has to be very careful. Like he makes a point of it to talk to Spider-Woman telepathically as to not reveal Carol Danvers identity to the other people in the room, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a neat little Mm -hmm. twist on it. John, I saw a lot of those little footnotes that you've mentioned before that you liked about reference. Some other happened in this happened. Yeah. X-Men 148. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. There was a lot of footnotes in this book. I think because it's an annual, right. It's got to take stuff that happened throughout the year from several Mm -hmm. different series and issues because it's kind of combining a bunch of story arcs and storylines and things that have happened throughout the year. And that's kind of what an annual is. Uh, One interesting thing to note a little bit was that when we get into the battle in New York, where we switch over to that whole scene of the Avengers getting attacked by someone else, the first scene is Captain America getting thrown through a bunch of stuff and he's all bloodied and beat up. He's seen better days. (laughs) But if you look at it, that whole battle scene, that initial battle scene with the Avengers and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, it was really just two evil guys, two evil characters yep. beating up all of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The was- ability to steal their power. So, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you take the first one, you're basically another Avenger fighting an Avenger, sort of, right? The power of an right. Avenger. Yeah. So I can see, I can see why, but it's, you have to suspend some disbelief inside of your suspension of disbelief because in this annual, when you have that many superheroes, you have to have something for them to fight. Otherwise they're overpowered. Well, and it was kind of like we were talking about in New Teen Titans, you know, Judas contract, you know, they had all that stuff planned out between Terra and Deathstroke and everything to hit them at their weakest points. That they kind of did that with this. Mystique and Rogue kind of had all this stuff planned out ahead of time. I mean, they they knew what to do with Captain America to get him out of the way first, right? Because he's kind of the general, the leader of everyone. Mm-hmm. And then not too far after, they went after Iron Man, but in a way that I guess nobody thought of going after him before. Let's just shut his electronics down and then he won't be able to move. He's just in a big metal just statue. Disable at that point. his armor. Right. I didn't think that that was going to become a later plot point. I figured he was just going to be off to the side, not mentioned. But instead, (laughs) Mystique had a whole plan where she's going to use him as a bomb or a missile or whatever. Just to she just throws him out of a plane at this prison where all of her other Brotherhood of Evil Mutant people are being incarcerated. And she just throws him at the power plant that's, you know, like kind of protecting all their cells. Mm -hmm. He that's he's like a lawn dart at that point for Mystique. (laughs) If it works, it works. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) It was just kind of the weirdest way to break people out of a prison I think I've ever seen. I when we got to that part part in the story, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to disguise herself as a security guard, and Rogue's going to come and touch a few of them and knock them out, and we're going to have this big elaborate prison break. But nope, just push Iron Man out the helicopter or the plane and. You mentioned that Spider-Woman was a very, uh, very prominent in this uh, annual. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. an interesting part of that was uh, that Rogue couldn't steal Spider-Woman's power because her costume was designed in such a way that she couldn't steal her power. Right. right. Yeah. Her costume covered her entire body and Rogue has to have skin on skin contact yep. in order to absorb abilities or psyche. And 
I that was nice that the foil to Rogue was just a bodysuit. The prison battle when they were fighting the Avengers finally got it together and were fighting the Brotherhood mm-hmm. of Mutants. Um, that whole that was just felt like a you know a summer blockbuster to me. Just that it was it was just constant action. I agree with Jason. It did have that kind of blockbuster you know the, the pinnacle of the story battlefield to it, but it also suffered from that tons of exposition writing. I noticed the part where I think I'm going to show my ignorance. Pyro maybe summoned mm-hmm. a bunch mm-hmm. of like a lava monster, and then somebody right. yeah. turned the lava like uh, used the hexes to turn lava monster into just stone, and it right. every single thing that happened explained to you like the narrator goes and then the lava monster was summoned and then it was turned to stone and then it was crumbled they didn't like you said they didn't count on the art to tell the story it was literally spelled out in every panel Mm -hmm. you know and we saw all these we saw early on that the x-men were taking part in this story Mm -hmm. and yet how come they didn't help fight the big battle at the prison or yeah we got these mutants around no colossus nobody nobody. they were just back at x-men headquarters sitting around fixing that machine that they blew up i guess i don't know what else they were doing i guess because it was an avengers book they didn't want to put the x-men in there too to come save the day of course you'll remember Remember that that might run a risk too, because the only reason they were able to start getting the upper hand was because the powers that Rogue absorbed are starting to wear off. If you'd thrown a bunch right. more mutants in there for her to touch, that could have turned the tide. Yeah, it could have. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And there were a lot of different characters in this book. John, I know you've talked a little bit about it in the past with some of these series that we read, like Crisis on Infinite Earths and Superhero Secret Wars. You know, you might say that there were almost too many already in this annual because this is just one book. This is not a miniseries. Yeah, I felt that way. It's, you know, when when I read books, I I enjoy the modern books a little better that feature just one hero or no heroes at all and just tell regular people stories. Mm -hmm. I suffered from superhero fatigue in this. One, you know, everybody was mm-hmm. in spandex. Everybody had some superpower, and uh, it just—it was a lot of people to follow. And that might just be because I don't have the background in knowing all the characters. But I was overwhelmed with too many magic people to figure out what all their magic was and how did it f- factor in. And then you had that problem. Well, I think it was you had the problem with the X Men, where you know there's so many superheroes around, you got to ask why didn't they come help? So it, it opens up right. that plot hole. Right. I think it was essentially that year's Avengers Endgame movie in comic book form. Right. It was I the culmination. Yeah. Of, of the whole year's worth of stories and it was to tie up these points and then set them off in some new directions with some new storylines like we said Beast used to be an X-Men now he's an Avenger and Rogue is introduced for the first time and we don't know what's going to happen with her in the future it, during this book at least we know you know from reading history what's happened to her since then but I, I guess that's what they were trying to do with this annual and I think they did a decent job of it without having read everything that happened in 1981 right. Onward, right. But I mean, we certainly know that a lot of these character plot points have been developed mm-hmm. since then. Yeah. And then we get the climax of the story with some pool party therapy. <laughs> what, what's what is it with comic books and pool parties? I don't right? know. Yeah, I saw that. Every time we've done one of these things, Teen Titans, now the Avengers, it seems like they, they've all sitting around in bathing suits half the time. I don't know if that was an 80s thing or what. And this was a real downer of a pool party, it, too. It was. Heavy. And, oh, God. Oh, 
man. Yeah. I did not she feel just good let at the them end of this have book. it, right? No, no. No. She was like, you guys, you didn't understand what was really happening. This guy was manipulating me and took over my brain and blah, blah, blah. That was so you just unfair, let him have though. me. They weren't being malevolent. They didn't understand what was going on. Right. And she's like, it's your fault because you didn't figure it out. Well, I'm sorry I didn't figure it out. I didn't. How would I have known? I didn't do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. She just lo- yeah, unloaded. Yeah, and that's the, the, I felt like she did unload. And it felt unfair to me. It, like it, she blamed them, but it wasn't their fault. How, how are they supposed to have known? Well, in in some panel, she even goes like some, like Scarlet Witch, I think, apologized to her yeah. profusely. She's like, oh, that's okay. And I'm like, what the hell? It's okay. <laughs> you it? just got through yelling at them and calling them every bad thing in the book. And I'm like, geez. So I have a plot hole maybe you can plug for me that I didn't quite get. Rogue okay. mentions early on that the the power transfer from Carol Danvers was permanent. However, mm-hmm. the others were temporary because she even says, if I do it wrong, I'll be permanently taking these powers, which first, I don't right. know why she would care. Why wouldn't she just want to take the powers? But that's fine. So she said she was not taking the other ones permanently. But the what she took from Ms. Marvel was permanent. And yet all they say is somehow Professor X helped Carol Danvers to remember herself. How did that get all of her lifelong memories back? How did that get her powers back? No amount of therapy is going to make you a superhero. I don't understand how she got everything back. So I'm going to answer this. Uh, number one, I don't think that she got all her powers back at this point. They don't talk about her powers Mm-mm. that I remember in those scenes. Like she didn't have her powers at the pool. Okay. Maybe she's just, you know, she wasn't flying okay. around or anything. True. True. And I don't know that she had all her memories back. Like she kind of talks about how things are fuzzy mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. in different parts. So I think professor X probably just helped her reconstruct what he could. Okay. Out of what he found in the, those deep dive sessions that happened while the Avengers were, you know, on prison Island battling the evil mutants and everything. I don't think that she got everything back. And I think she stays a flawed character for several issues after this. Okay. So there wasn't like a Gilligan's Island machinery, put a coconut on each person's head. While it might've been permanent in this issue, it didn't stay permanent in comic book lore as often happens in the comic book world. So later they did go to Gilligan's Island and get the coconuts on their heads and transferred it all back. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and the most outrageous villain for TV in the universe. These ain't your daddy's comic books, fanboy. The DC Comics. Zap Comics, located in the mid 1990s. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Paneled Back Issue Podcast. Gentlemen, before we get out of here, I'm going to start with John with my Mm. final question. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. For you, Mm. who do you think was the most prominent character in this annual? Oh, finally, an easy last question. Yeah, it's Spider-Woman for me in this one. Uh, Okay. We said she was kind of out in front and center, but I think more so for me, it was because I had no exposure to her and I was very curious to learn more about her. Uh, And luckily I did. I got to see a little more about her and some of her powers 
powers and they used her quite a bit uh, I think partially because she couldn't get her powers sap because of her cool uh, Lycra costume so wonder Spider Woman <laughs> for me Jason what about you uh, Spider Woman absolutely uh, oh boy we I, agreed yeah I know it's crazy <laughs> well she's a character I like so I kind of focused on her but she she kind of drove the story I mean she discovered who Carol Danvers was she contacted the Avenger she was trying to get everything you know put together and she actually came and bailed them out a couple times because the Avengers were kind of bumbling a little bit in this story and then moping at the end and because Carol yelled at them and she she really held it together and became a, a good friend of uh, Carol's so we see how they become lifelong friends so yeah for me it's definitely Spider-Woman. George how about you? I mean for me I I kind of got to go with Spider-Woman as well although I think it's interesting that this book's collectability is all in the fact that it's Rogue's first appearance mm-hmm. and I thought she had probably the second strongest character storyline in the book and I think that time will tell that the Rogue collectability of the book will probably be what drives the prices higher and higher and higher as we get into more films and more Rogue stuff later on. Spider-Woman's never been a big film character. I don't think we've even seen her in anything other than animated films at this point. So even though Spider-Woman, I think, had the better storyline in this series, I think the rogue first appearance is what will drive this book's readability in the future. Before we get out of here, I want to take just a quick moment to thank some of the wonderful patrons we have over at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And that is you, Will, Dana, Corey, Thomas, Chad, Levi, Stian, Agile, Titu, Slomo, Stubaka, Marcus, Mike, and Greg. <laughs> I tried to get through the whole thing with one breath and I can't do it. I'm about to pass out. It's a list that gets longer and longer. So grateful. It is a great problem to have to not be able to say all those names in one breath, right? These are all folks that uh, take a, actually a couple of bucks out of their pocket every month and support us financially at Gen X Grown Up. Keep drawing and paneled cooking. Keep all the podcasts, the YouTube content. Wow. Just really keep, keep putting gas in the tank. I know I am so, so thankful that they do that for us. Absolutely. We will be back in two weeks with another of our back issue series and next week with our current event. Until then, Jason, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. John, always appreciate you. Yeah, happy to be here. And podcast listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will see you guys next time. See everybody later. Bye-bye now. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.